Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to Husky Talk. I'm your host, Emerson Krieger. And I'm her partner, Maddie Sager. We are here today with executive producer of the Iditarod Insider Videos, Greg Heister. Hi, Greg. Hi. Welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. You bet. It's my pleasure. Our first segment of the show is titled, Who Inspires You? During this segment, we would like for you to tell us a little bit about who inspired you to get involved in the Iditarod. Well, you know, I don't know if it was truly an inspiration at first. At first, it was a work assignment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had been hired in, uh, in Anchorage by one of the local television stations to run their sports department. And the Iditarod being a sporting event, really the sporting event in the state of Alaska, I got to cover it. And then in time, it, it inspired me in many ways, and I fell in love with it. The people who have committed their lives to it, and of course, uh, the little beasts that run across the, the tundra in the mountains of Alaska. It's, uh, it's been truly inspirational in many ways, but I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into when the journey began. Thank you for sharing. We are going to move on to our Q&A segment. Can you tell our listeners exactly what you do for the Iditarod? Well, today I am uh, kind of the head of the Iditarod Insider, uh, which is a marketing wing, in my opinion, of the Iditarod uh, sled dog race. And we provide uh, daily content uh, for the fans of the race at Iditarod.com. So we do that with uh, uh, a lot of written articles. We are posting constantly a lot of video throughout the race. We do a lot of storytelling. We have analysts and Bruce Lee and Joe Runyon. Uh, it's all tied in together. And then at the end of the race, we produce a two-hour documentary. So I write and produce and narrate and edit that uh, production. So it's kind of an all-encompassing uh, project that is the Iditarod Insider. And if you guys are fans of the race, you've probably seen it at Iditarod.com. How long have you been doing this? Well, the Insider started in 2006, I believe, and I was only hired to do on-camera work uh, that year. And and then after that, I was hired to kind of oversee it. But I've been a part of the Iditarod covering it from a media standpoint since 1992. Mm-hmm. So a long time now. I've seen a lot of races. So 1992 would have been Mark Boozer's first championship. And then I was there for Jeff King's first championship, uh, Doug Swingley's first championship. So really the era of the 90s is when uh, I became involved with the race. What do you think is the most challenging part of what you do? Well, the most challenging part has got to be the terrain. And in that, I, I include weather and the logistics of what we do. You know, we have to be transported up and down the trail. Uh, we have snow machines and, and airplanes, and at times we've had a helicopter. And really, that's all weather dependent, whether or not we get up and down the trail, other than the snow machines they have to go. And when you keep in mind that these dog teams are going faster than ever when, uh, you know, Mitch got there in, what, uh, eight days, three hours or something this year, they really there's always somebody moving on the trail over those eight or nine days. And we're out there for, you know, 14 days or whatever it is when we get the Red Lantern winter in. So there's always somebody moving, which means we have to continually be moving to to stay up with the story. So the challenge is, is the logistics. There isn't much sleep. We don't eat well. 
I'm not complaining about that. It's just uh, it's part of what you sign up for, and it's what makes it so darn exciting and, and uh, really cool to be a part of. And when you were talking about um, Martin Boozer, that was the first person we interviewed. Oh, very! he's a great guy, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and Martin taught me a long, 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 long time ago. I can remember him to this day in those early years around this race. And he believed that uh, that anything is possible in this world if you're willing to, to work a bunch of 18-hour days. <laughs> and I think that's what, uh, you know, the dogs are tremendous in this event. And obviously they're incredible and they're the miracle and... I mean, they're running 125 miles a day. I mean, it's just amazing. But really, it's the people that have drawn me to this event. People like Mark and Jeff King and and all of the great mushers of that era and since then. I mean, they're the hardest working people that I've been around. They're very, very committed to the sport and the, to their lifestyle. And uh, most of them are, you know, generally tough people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but I'll never forget Martin telling me that in the early days. It, it really hit home to me. And... You know, it's it's no when you look throughout the race's history and you look at these different eras of great mushers. When you look at Boozer and King and Swingley, and you can go back to Boozer, uh, Butcher, and Swenson, and then you know the CVs today and Lance Mackey. I, I think that everybody who who ran not only did they have great lead dogs, but they were the hardest working mushers mm-hmm. of those eras, and so their hard work paid off in championships. And and uh, I think Martin. Uh, was as hard a working guys that I'd ever seen. Um, what got you interested in working in media? Well, uh, well, that, now you're going back a long ways, but you know, I'm a play-by-play announcer for college football, basketball, yeah. baseball, and so I can remember being a kid uh, in the late, late 70s, early 80s, and watching like Super Bowls and Kurt Gowdy and John Brody and Merlin Olson and thinking to myself that even at the age I was, I was always going to associate their voice with that game or that sporting event. And so that inspired me way back when. I just thought that was a a great legacy to leave. And, you know, so I I don't know if I've actually done that, but it's certainly uh, driven me down, down the road. Kurt Gotti was kind of my idol. He was the host of the American Sportsman. Uh, and he did uh, play-by-play for a lot of Super Bowls and NBA championships, Major League Baseball. And so today I, I work on outdoors television. I have a, a fly fishing program that airs nationally. And, of course, my work with the Iditarod. So in a small way, I think I'm uh, on, on the heels of, of uh, accomplishing what I set out to do all those years ago. Yeah, we think you have a great voice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, do you have a team of people to help you edit and publish the videos? Oh yeah, it's a it's an immense team, uh, and when I say immense, it's a it's a large team. It's probably uh, a lot smaller than it should be, but very talented people, and uh, they come from a lot of different places in the West, and they're very committed and. Uh, they, they too, I think, have fallen in love with this race. They seem to come back every year despite 50 below zero and not eating well and not sleeping. So the conditions for them are not great. But uh, I have all the respect in the world for them. And 
you know, a lot of times because it is my voice or, or my face is out in front of this thing, I get a lot of credit for all this stuff, but you know, really without them, you know, it's, it's really not possible. They're very committed to this thing and, and I respect and appreciate all of them. What do you enjoy most about like being out on the Adirondack and doing your job? I think just being out there, uh, you know, after all these years, people ask me all the time, like, why, why do I keep doing this? And I, I'm not, I'm just not sure I'd see the Yukon River or the Bering Sea coast again in the wintertime. And to me, it's the environment that these teams go through uh, that is so unique. And, and all of the people along the way, the friends that I've met, the relationships that have been galvanized throughout the years of, of running this race to Nome, I... I think I would miss that more than anything. And so I think mm -hmm. that's what keeps me coming back. I think the Bering Sea Coast is some of the most beautiful environment that we have on this planet. And I think it is uniquely special in the wintertime. The country is so big. It's so cold. It's inhospitable. It's, and then it's, it's beautiful at the same time. And when you're there, when the sun rises or sun sets on that sea ice, it's just a, a magical place to be. And so, I don't know. I think my, my life would diminish some if I wasn't out there every year. Um, how do you come up with the questions and stories for your videos and interviewing the mushers? Well, I think that, you know, the most important thing about being a good interviewer is listening. You know, I try not to, a lot of my interviews, I try not to script questions. There may be some bullet points that I write down to make sure that I cover those bullet points, but I like to listen. I like to get into a conversation with them. I think that's the only way to learn. If if I'm trying to get them to say what they want them to say by asking specific questions, then sometimes I don't think you get true gut-level honesty out of it. Yeah. Or if you can sit down and look somebody in the eye and have a conversation with them and, and allow them to see and feel your sincerity, you know, uh, sometimes they're going to open up in ways that uh, they otherwise wouldn't. And so I I kind of just start talking with them and let the conversation drive. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe though there's always a few little questions that I try to, to make sure. And honestly, you know, if something specific happened on the trail that I want to specifically ask them about, then we will we'll ask that. But... Uh, you know, when you've done so many of these interviews with them over the years, it's really hard to come up with things to ask them that they've never been asked. So, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's one of the things I like to do. And I think that you, that happens when you can just sit down and talk with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, are the mushers usually cooperative and easy to work with? Yeah, they're great people. And I'm amazed over the years, and, and I think I've said this before to many people, you know, when I get sleep deprived, I can get pretty grumpy. And yeah. the last thing I, I want to do would probably be have someone stick a microphone and a camera in my face and make me perform. And so I'm, I'm uh, amazed over these years at how easy they've, to the most part, uh, they've all been to work with. And, you know, they all have bad days out there and bad moments. And, and you know, we've just gotten to a point where we're able to assess that moment and, and to give them their space. And so uh, as long as it's a respectful time and, and 
and you you learn those moments when you're around people. You can tell when it's a good time to talk to them, when it's a good time to to leave them alone. So uh, it's just a mutual respect thing, I think, that is garnered over time. And if you're not in a big hurry, big rush, uh, they are um, amazingly open uh, to what we do. And I'm, I've always been so appreciative of that. Yeah, when when we interviewed Martin, he was pretty like cool with us, too. Yeah, he's a great guy, and, and uh, he's so charismatic, and uh, has been such a, a great ambassador of this sport and this event over the years. And uh, and you know, uh, he's he's colorful. Like he's got a way with his words and his phrasing that is uh, beautiful for television and, and for an interviewer. Um, how many, or how have things changed since Iditarod Insider started? Oh, since the Insider started. Well, <clears throat> you know, the race is going faster, and I think that's an evolving uh, process that uh, we see even in the, what we've been around, I think we've gone to our 11th or 12th year now with this Insider. And so I think uh, it continually to go, goes faster. And you can see that in the, indicated by the times. But, you know, the trail keeps getting improved. It becomes more and more uh, we're getting away from this being uh, a, a camping trip or a way to see the country and more towards this race idea that uh, that it is now. You know, it is a race from the day that they, they leave Willow uh, and all the way to Nome, where in the old days... They used to camp and, and really wouldn't race for the last couple of hundred miles. So, you know, that's all changed. And those, it just seems like the best mushers are, are not just necessarily the ones that have the fastest teams from point A to B, but are the most organized mushers and checkpoints. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, you can lose a lot of time in those checkpoints with the lack of efficiency. That's really what has made Dallas CV so good. Uh, I think he studied that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Doug Swingley was maybe the race's great time manager and, and proved that this wasn't just a dog race. It was about managing time. And I think Dallas has really found the key to that. And, and he is a, a tactician. Uh, he's scientific in, a, in the way he attacks the trail and, and his moments and, and utilizing every little spare second that he has. So, we learned that you interview basketball players as well as Iditarod racers. Who do you sure. enjoy interviewing more? Oh, 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 well, I tell people all the time, like, give me a choice to cover the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Final Four, the NBA Championship, or the Iditarod. I'd, I'd go cover that crazy dog race any day. <laughs> uh, I just think that, um, and, you know, they're all great, and I, you know, I cover football baseball, basketball, and I love being around athletes and, and sporting events. I, I think it's a, a great way to spend your days. But there's just something about the Iditarod because it's it's lifestyle. You know, it's not just mm -hmm. people out there trying to compete. It's it's about people out there trying to sustain a lifestyle that they've committed to. So many of these guys and gals are, you know, many of them are highly educated. They're extremely articulate. They're, as I've mentioned before, they're the hardest working people I know. And I think if a lot of them were in the business world, uh, they would be highly successful and, and in some cases highly wealthy. 
but yet they've sacrificed all of that to pursue a lifestyle. And there's something extremely interesting to me about that. And, and it has been since uh, 1992 in my first race. So that still captivates me. It still, it proves that, you know, our existence on this planet is, is more than just about chasing things that society tells us that we should chase. And, and I think these people that, that run the Iditarod are indicative of that. They're, many of them are about family and, and a traditional way and making sure that their life is lived the way that they envision it, not the way other people envision it so i'm they inspire me every year that i'm out there our final segment of the show is what we like to call musher mount rushmore you know mount rushmore right sure (laughs) (laughs) if if you were asked to change the faces of mount rushmore honoring people that have made a huge impact on the iditarod who would you include you can pick mushers dogs volunteers whatever you want oh man that's a good question well a number one has to be joe reddington senior without a doubt right i mean he's got to be he's got to be the first one uh and then i think you have to put susan butcher up there uh secondly because i think that she really brought dog care to the forefront and changed the way uh the race evolved i think that uh Boy, oh boy! After that, so what? There's four on the on Mount Rushmore, yeah. right? So I got to come up with two others. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's a tough one because we've had several uh, four-time champions now. You know, I I think that, uh, and I may take some heat for this, but I, I think I'd put Lance Mackey up there. I think that uh, his story and the way he he ran and, and won those races proving that it's not all about the dogs that there was a, a human element involved in winning and losing uh i think that uh, and from a storytelling standpoint i don't think there's been a better story in the race's history than that i think that i'd have to put lance Mackey up there and then you know uh martin boozer jeff king and uh it, it, it'd be tough to, to pick between those two, I, I think I'd have to put an extra head up there. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have to. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but then there's, you know, there's others. There's, there's been great volunteers with this race over the years, and it's hard to point one of them out because there's been so many of them uh, to to mention. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with the names I just mentioned. Well, it's hard to pick because they're all pretty good mushers. <laughs> yeah, just just phenomenal. And you know, and and this is going to be Dee Dee Genro's last race, and you know, her impact in this race, and and what a tremendous ambassador she has been, and just a great spirit of the event. Uh, she would she would have to be considered, and of course, what Allie does today. Uh, for the race, I don't know if there's a more popular musher today in the sporting mushing than than Ali Zirkel. Uh, and then you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the Seabees. I mean, what what Mitch and Dallas have done, and they're highly professional, and and they're great racers, and they're family people, and I have a lot of respect for for them. And uh, and so I think it would be hard to find four or five. If you give me ten or twelve, we could probably finish this good. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much, Greg, for being on our show. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Appreciate you having me. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Greg Heister for joining us on our episode. 
Special credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. Iditarod Trail.